He, uh, let me open in prayer. Father, we commit this time before you, part six of our series. Thanks for this great series, Father. We pray that you would prepare our hearts right now. In fact, strengthen, we pray, our hearts. Feed us, teach us, mold us, shape us. But more so, we pray that you would equip us to act upon all that you're about to reveal to us to the glory of your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. All right, let's dive into uh, week six of this series. And I hope you've been enjoying it. By the way, if you haven't been uh, with us or been able to be with us for whatever reason, please feel free to check it out online. And once again, we welcome those people who are with us online. It's great to have you. We'd love for you to interact with our online pastor from home. And can I just encourage you for those who are at home to just lay aside all distractions like we are here in the room. Lay aside all of those distractions, let it go, and just be with us here in this moment. Hey, uh, I just want to quickly say that uh, in all my life experiences, the way is kind of heading into this topic today on giving, that there has been a quality that I've observed in certain people that I've always found compelling, even attractive, and that's the act of generosity. Someone who is generous with their time, their talent, and their treasure. And you know it, right? You know it when you see it. You see, when someone pays, when you go out for a drink with them, when someone pays for your drink, when somebody pays for your meal. There was many years ago when... Uh, my wife and I was, went out to, it was quite expensive, we went out to an expensive restaurant together. It was a number of years ago, I can't remember, I guess it's 10, 10 years ago. It was a restaurant maybe some of you might be familiar with. It's called Morty's. <laughs> and I remember sitting there having our meal because you pay before your meal. Anyway, somebody came up to us, I don't know if you remember this. Some, yeah, you do. Somebody came up to us and said, it's lovely to see you out together and kind of took my hand, and in their hand had cash, and handed me the cash to, I think it was to pay for dessert or a drink or something later on. But it was, I've, we've never forgotten that. It was just so, so generous. So here's the deal, church. <laughs> Get the idea. Generosity, where does it come from? Those who donate blood. Generous. Those who mentor you. Generous. Those who... Uh, cook meals for you when either you're sick or when you have a baby. It's generous. Generous on Thursday night, Thursday night when um, the, the Richmond Football Club. I can talk football this year if you like. This week, this week anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. I move on. Thank you, Craig and Ben and Cam. Uh, to, to Ben, myself, and Kobe, and uh, Phil, anyway, all the blue supporters. But anyway, uh, I can talk football this year, finally. Maybe this week. <laughs> Let's move on. Where does generosity come from? Where does it come from? Because it's not a natural inclination, is it? It doesn't come naturally to us. You think when you're a baby, or maybe you have a baby in your home at the moment. Some of the first words that a baby comes up with is, no, mine. <laughs> So where does generosity come from? Think about this for a moment. If you ever won, if you ever won a lot of money or inherited a lot of money, what's the first thing that comes to your mind for that money? No one thinks about changing conditions in the developing world. 
What do we think about? We think about a car, we think about, come on, just being honest, being renovation, we think about a home, we think about holidays. Now, this, this, it's not, it's not bad, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's not because you're a bad person. Generosity, generosity generally doesn't come naturally. So, ask again, where does it come from? What if God created you for more than just me? What if generosity wasn't just about a moment? What if generosity was more like a, a muscle? And like every other muscle in your body that needs to be stretched and worked so that over time your generosity happens effortlessly. That come out effortlessly. What if you already have all that you need to be a generous person? And what if all that you need already comes from a generous God? John 3.16, that's where it comes from. For God so loved the world that he gave. He is a generous, giving God. He gives abundantly, he gives fully, he gives freely. You see, once again, generosity begins where? It begins with God. Our text this morning, one of my favorite passages, I have to admit, is Acts chapter 2. And we want to examine this quality amongst the early church at Jerusalem. Here's why. There's strong evidence that these people whose hearts have been transformed are very, very generous people. And can I just speak generally, just for a moment, generally speaking, that Christians are generous people. Here's why. There's generally a perspective shift and also a priority shift because giving begins with God, right? And so when Jesus touches your heart, when Jesus touches the heart of a follower, Christians generally lose the tightness in their living and their lifestyle, and they become a little bit more, generally, relaxed and even generous because they understand who the owner is and they live out of gratefulness and gratitude. Once again, that's that perspective shift and that priority shift as well. Acts chapter 2, are we there? Have you got your Bibles? Feel free to open those. If you have them, if not, they'll be on the screen for you. Um, this is the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, this is the birth of the church. This is one of the most significant days in the history of the church. The day the promised Holy Spirit of God was poured out upon his people. The power to carry on and to carry out the calling on our lives to share the good news of Jesus. This is a game changer, Acts chapter 2. This is Pentecost. By the way, the word Pentecost actually means 50. 50? 50 what? 50 days after Easter. There's a little bit of homework for you this week. Why 50 days after Easter? That's a little bit of homework for you and your connect groups. That's what the word Pentecost means, 50 days after Easter. 
what's happening here in the early church, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the God's people together, there's a profound sense of joy. There's a profound sense of love and purity and generosity. They start to share who they are and they also start to share what they have. And as a result, it draws thousands of people on the day of Pentecost, right? But also it draws thousands of people after Pentecost, I think in part, in part, in part, to the generosity of the church. Here's the story. Acts chapter 2, if you're there, feel free, it's on the screen. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Here's the story. Take note. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. Everyone was filled. Can you say this word with me? Everyone was filled with awe. I love that word. Say it with me again. Awe. I love that word. It sounds like it is. Awe. Don't forget that. I'm going to come back to that. They were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by who? The apostles. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with what? Glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I'll come back to that. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, those whose lives were filled with the eternal hope of Jesus Christ, our living hope. We just sang, right? Three areas this morning where the early believers showed generosity in their time, their talent, and their treasure. As Ben introduced to us, we call that our resources and finances, time, talent, and treasure. Firstly, they were generous with their time. Let's talk about this for a moment because they devoted themselves. Remember what they did? They devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And of course, we started this series, right? Remember that back in day one on prayer, praying, we called it. And all these things that they devoted themselves to take a commitment of time. It takes time to meet with people. It takes time to eat with people. It takes time to pray together. It takes time to study the scriptures that they invested their time. Let's go to the end of that passage because in verse 46 it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with what? With glad and sincere hearts. This group of people, the early church, they were generous with their time. Now, let's be honest, not every um, gift of generosity is a monetary gift, is it? Not every contribution is a financial contribution. You see, you can effectively contribute time to a cause, and many of you do. You can donate time to Alpha. I know Gray would love to put his hand up, and I know I think we should mention this later on, I'm sorry about that that we need people to help um, 
cook for the many guests when it comes to Alpha. And we say thank you for that. But we need a few more uh, assistants helping us cook food for our Alpha participants. But it takes time to greet people. Many people were here nice and early this morning, praying up, ready to welcome you, those who are wearing the um, Together in Community t-shirts. It takes time to usher. It takes time to invest, as many of our volunteers are this morning, in the next generation. It takes time to serve our children, uh, our Hope Discovery kids, our youth, the Will Graham event. We need a, a number of volunteers. We need 2,000 volunteers. We're expecting 5,000 people at the Silverdome, May 27 to 29. We've trained 700 people in the Christian Witness Life uh, Program. We need 2,000 people trained in that. And so there's a course coming up soon. So it takes time, and all of that is a contribution of time. And this is who the early church was. They committed to investing time for such a cause as this, for the greatest cause on the planet. These last couple of years, let's be honest for a moment, come on. These last couple of years, they're pretty tough. Now, of course, here in Tasmania, compared to other states in our own nation, and of course, across the world, uh, maybe not as tough, but many of you have been through a pretty tough time this last couple of years, yet I've watched you from far, from a distance. I've watched you full of life, full of energy, giving, 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 giving of your time. And here's what I put it down to, because you're actually being Jesus-centered and others-focused and other people needing more help maybe than you needed help at that particular time. Can I encourage us? Let's continue to be people like that. We're not fully through this yet. Can I just speak into the mask thing for a moment? Whatever, you, whatever makes you feel safe, mask on, mask off, it's not mandated anymore. Totally fine, totally welcome. By the way, for those at home, you figure that out. But whenever you bring up time, when you bring up this idea of time, some of us are always thinking, aren't we? It's, it's, it's not, I don't have a lot of time. How can I be generous, Steve, with my time when I have no time to be generous with? And I get it. I want you to know that many of us are time poor. But are we? Are we? You see, some people manage their time really, really well. One of those people was Jesus Christ himself. Of course, Jesus, as we reflect on his life for a moment, lived a very busy life. He had needs coming left, right, center, oh, coming at him. The blind, the sick, the poor, the disciples, the lepers, the Pharisees. He had so, wherever he went, people wanted a piece of Jesus' time. And of course, the Gospels clearly tell us that he was generous, yeah? He was generous with his time. So how did Jesus manage his time? The first thing I'm going to say, that Jesus was generous with his time because he was generous in his time with God. He would often withdraw from the crowds. You know the stories. He would withdraw from the crowds to be with the Father in prayer. He would gain, I think, a few things. First of all, perspective. There's a big picture going on here that he's a part of. He would catch his breath. But also, 
He would come up with a game plan and be sent back into the world. And uh, this Wednesday, uh, every March, I take our team of staff away on a prayer retreat. We withdraw from the crowds where we seek together God's face. We pray for you. We pray for the vision and mission. We withdraw and we gain perspective. We take a breath from the whirlwind that we work within. And hopefully God reveals a little bit more about the game plan for us here as well. Secondly, I think that Jesus said no so that Jesus could say yes. No to certain things so we could say yes to other things. By the way, the word no, say it with me. It sounds good, doesn't it? No. Say it again. No. It sounds good, doesn't it? No. The word no is a holy word. By the way, by the way, some of us have been saying no for far too long. And you might need to start practicing saying yes. Anyway, back to the story. Jesus did not respond to every need. There were plenty of people unhealed, untouched, and unreached. So the question for me this morning, before I go into the second one, is what's crowding your time that keeps you from being generous? The early church, remember, verse 42, said they devoted themselves to what? To Instagram. They devoted themselves to Netflix. They devoted themselves to YouTube, etc., etc. No, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, etc. So this is where learning to say no is important so you can say yes. And so once again, I want to put it to you. I want to put it to you. Those in the room, those who are online, what has God called you to do with this limited amount of time that we have to manage that time well, just as Jesus did? What has God called you to do with your time? Because the early church was certainly very, very generous with their time. Not only that, they were generous with their talents. And there's this, if you read the story, there's this pulling together of talent of the early church where different people who had different gifts contributed to and for the same cause. You'd see the gifts of teaching arise. You would see the gifts of giving arise. You'll see the gifts of hospitality and encouragement. There's this pulling together of talent, generous, not just with their time, but with their talents. And that's where the church comes alive. Later on in the New Testament, Paul would write to the early church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he speaks about using those talents. Now, he referred to them as spiritual gifts. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts. And that's what the church will experience, that pulling together. And verse 14 says, yes, this is, by the way, let's, <laughs> this is funny. Paul, Paul's a character here. Check this out. He says this, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. This is funny. If the foot says, just imagine it, right? I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. That does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye. Would that make it any less part of the body? That is, is Pat, imagine just for a moment, just in front of you, standing on stage. If the whole body were an eye, imagine it. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? 
Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you, how would you smell anything? Here's the point, here's the point, here's the point. The church is like a human body. Yeah, that's what Paul's saying, that's his point. And every part is needed to achieve its full redemptive potential. You see, there's something special, and think about it, there's something so special that happens when we use our talents and our gifts to contribute to something far greater than ourselves. Because here at Door of Hope, we say we do it together in community because we're a part of a bigger picture, we're a part of the body, as Paul would describe it. And at Door of Hope, serving isn't just something we do. It's who we must be. Remember what Ben said in the start of that clip, or the end of that clip, sorry. The part of our value that this allows, he said, this allows us to lead the way with extravagant generosity. Who's that like? Just like the early church. That's who we're talking about. And so here's my question before I move on to point three. Are you contributing your talents and gifts? Are you contributing your talents and gifts? And if not, if not, how might you consider doing so? Back to the early church, back to the early church. Let's go. So um, they were generous with what? Number one, they were generous with their time. Something good. They were gen- generous with their talent. Very good. Third and final one is they were generous with their treasure. Once again, resource and finance. I don't talk about this a whole lot. The people here at Door of Hope can testify to that. But we're going to go there. We're going to go there. Come on, let's have an open, honest heart, as I shared with you before. First of all, verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to who? Who? Anyone. Anyone who had need. Anyone. What a generous church. By the way, this baffled the Roman Empire for whom they were under at that time. Totally baffled them because they weren't only taking care of their own need. They were taking care of the sick. They were taking care of the oppressed. They were taking care of the overlooked, the widows in their city, and it was changing the social dynamic of every city that Christians went to because a group of ordinary people said, if we've got it, it's yours. It's yours. But here's what I want you to notice. No one told them to do this. Why? Verse 42, what does it say? They devoted themselves. Peter was not up there whipping a crack. Cracking a whip, even. <laughs> Let's just press pause there for a moment, because I want to say, I want to say this. Sometimes you're speaking in front of a large group of people, and you say something silly, like I just said, and we can laugh at that, at my expense. So thank you. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> That's right, Peter. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I was better keep to my notes. Peter <laughs> was not whipping him into action, let me just say that anyway. So it wasn't forced, it wasn't forced, it wasn't compulsory. Uh, it was voluntary. It was that sense that I want to, I wanted to. Why? Because they devoted themselves. Here's what I've discovered from over many years. The, the, this idea of money, let's talk about that for a moment, because money is an important topic in the Bible, Right? Over 2,000 verses, the main subject of over half of Jesus' parables is that of money. Yes, it's something we often struggle to talk about or even learn about. And by the way, Jesus was not obsessed 
with money. But we can be. And he knew it. So why? Why is this so important? Throughout Scripture, over 2,000 verses, Jesus spoke into this subject many, many a times. And here's why. Here's why. Because our relationship to finances is a gauge. It's a gauge for when it comes to our spiritual walk. Now, it's not the gauge. It's not the only gauge. But it certainly is a gauge. Even Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. 2 Corinthians 9, a well-known passage of Paul, once again, addressing the church. And he says this, once again, this is, this is brilliant. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, what? say this with me, loves a cheerful, I know God loves everyone, right? He loves everyone, but there's a special place in God's heart for a cheerful giver. And God is able to what? To bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, come on, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. In other words, what Paul is saying is that God never barely blesses anyone. It's not in his nature. It's not in his nature. See, what Paul's doing is, once again, very, very clever at the time. Paul is using a basic agricultural principle and giving it spiritual context. He's also doing even more than that. What he's doing here, and you can read this passage later on in your own time, that he's giving us a theology of giving, very clear. A theology of giving. It's a, a, what I mean by that, it's a, it's, a, it's a posture of the heart when it comes to this area of our lives. And so the first thing I want us to take note of here is that when you give, Paul's saying, when you give, give intentionally. Give intentionally. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have what? Decided in your heart to give. Now, this indicates what Paul said. This indicates you've thought about it, right? That you've prayed about it. Not only that, but you've actually committed to it. Not on impulse. Can I just talk about impulse giving just for a moment? Is that okay? Impulse giving? Because impulse givers willingly give depending on what they have on them in the moment rather than what God has put upon their heart. The thing that impulse givers lack is a plan. It's the pocket versus the heart. And so Paul wanted them to have the right motivation when it comes to this area of their lives, of our lives. And to have that right motivation, you have to give it personal Thought. What did Paul say? To give, first of all, to give intentionally. Second thing he's saying is that when you give, give, remember that, to give cheerfully. To give cheerfully. Verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, by the way, which means pressured or forced or that sense of guilt. Guilt doesn't go grow generosity at all. For God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, do it because you want to, in obedience, not because you have to. And so we give out of joy. We give out of that trust and that faith that we have out of sheer delight because why we, we're cheerful. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. God loves a cheerful giver. Live, thanks, Ben. I'll take that one, Ben. Thank you. Live intentionally. Give intentionally. Give intentionally, Paul says. He also says give cheerfully. And third and final one is to give proportionally. Give proportionally of what you have and what you make. This isn't legalistic giving. This isn't emotional giving. This isn't pressured giving. This is, once again, Paul, planned, and it's prayerful. Let's go back. Let's go way back because the entire Israelite nation operated on this system of tithing, this idea of giving 10% of one's income. Now, of course, being primarily, once again, that agrarian society, agricultural, that usually included the giving of the produce from the farm. So this idea of tithes and offering, I want you to know, this is a biblical concept that is uh, woven throughout Scripture. In fact, you can find the first reference to tithing in Genesis chapter 2 of honoring God with the first part of our income, where we tithe 10%. By the way, 10% of $100 is $10. Very good. So the Old Testament, the people of God, will take the first 10% of their crop or their livestock and that they would give it back to God, that they would bring it to the temple as a symbolic way of saying, God, I'm not actually giving this to you. I'm actually bringing what is yours because you can't give what isn't yours. It's the first, it's not the last, it's the first part of our giving because we're putting God forth. Another uh, important principle the Bible teaches about the tithe is that it's not, it's not left over. It's not, it's not the leftover. It's, it's, it's not that. It's honoring him first and foremost. So give proportionally of what you have and what you make, and that's the tithe. Let's wrap this up. Let's come to a time of communion. Just before we do, Let's come back to the early church just for a moment, if we could, because I want to say this, because this is what it was like. This is what it was like to be around this church, that everyone was filled with, remember that word? Everyone was filled with awe, awe, that they'd never seen anything quite like this church. They'd seen empires, they'd seen governments, they'd seen religion, but they'd never seen anything quite like this. But that's not all. Remember, it goes on, it says that they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the so need to be. It's important to remember. It's important to remember that those early followers of Jesus, they didn't have much at all, yet they still gave. They still gave. All that they had, all they had was in fact Jesus. And some somehow at their very core that they believed that He was enough, that He would take care of them, and that He would provide for them. And this is where the early church landed that you can never outgive God, first of all. You can never outgive God. And that 
a limited resource, whatever I bring to him, can have an unlimited impact. As followers, we must be generous. We must be generous with our time, talent, and our treasure. For this simple reason, that none of it is ours. It's all his, for the glory of his name. Let me pray. Father, first of all, I thank you for all that you give to us. We acknowledge this morning that you held nothing back. You gave it all. Father, we thank you for the reminder of the early church that we cannot, we simply cannot outgive you. Father, this morning I stand before your people and say thank you. Thank you for the kind-heartedness, the generosity of your people who always rise, who always rise, who always rise to meet the needs of our community, both here and outside these walls. I pray you would bless and encourage each one. Father, we thank you for all the ministries that our giving supports. And once again, just before you and you alone, we as your people, we commit our time, we commit our talent, and we commit our treasure to you for the glory of your name. Let's share communion together, but just before you open them, just before you open them, we make that kind of awkward noise <laughs> together. And maybe for you at home this morning, you'd like to get prepared to share communion together. We're going to take it together just in a moment. So but just before we open it, just hang in there for a moment, because I want to say just a couple of things to remind us what this meal is about. That followers of Jesus have, been, have participated in this meal since they were invited to. Invited to by Jesus himself. To what? To remember his love. To remember his forgiveness. To remember the sacrifice. Not only just to remember. And maybe this morning you would like to receive this gift. For those of us who are participating in this meal, just in a moment, we'll open up. But he took these two common elements that were on the table. And he took the bread and he took the cup to show, by the way, symbolically what was going to happen to him, but also what it would achieve for humanity. And so out of relationship, this meal is taken that we participate in. Father, just thank you. We can stop and remember. In the busyness of our lives, we take time. Thank you that we're invited to the table. We're, we're invited to take a seat at the table. For you are the head of this table. And so as we remember your body that was broken, I invite you to take that top part off right now. Let's eat together. Let's eat together and remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us. Let's eat together.
We'll drink in a moment, but just let's eat together. And Lord, as we eat, we're reminded of your broken body, but we're also reminded that we are broken and we are in need of a Savior. We are in need of a living hope. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. As we take the cup now, symbolic of your blood, poured out for the sins of the world, we drink of the cup together in community. Drink together. We feast on the faithfulness of our God.